This is The Guardian. Today, as millions of people in Britain prepare to vote for their local councillors, our political editor, Heather Stewart, explains why it's national issues and scandals that are dominating the agenda. It's fair to say that most years, Britons don't exactly get excited about local elections. Do you know anything about the local elections that are coming up? No, I don't know too much about the local elections. With changeable weather and May bank holiday hangovers, most voters give them a miss. But this time round, amid multiple Westminster scandals and the worst cost of living crisis in a generation, Tomorrow's local elections in England, Scotland and Wales have begun to take on an outsized significance. They're very important, I think, for a couple of reasons. One is it's the first nationwide electoral test we've had since the story of Partygate broke. Are you honest, Prime Minister? I think you, yes, and I think that... Uh, yes, the other reason is Labour will really be hoping that they can show some progress at local level they might then be able to build on at the next general elections. That's why these elections are so important. Because they're about how Britain recovers. Whether it's red walls, blue walls, green surges or supremacy in Scotland, party leaders are desperately downplaying expectations. But whatever they say, the results this week are the last nationwide test before the general election expected sometime in the next 18 months. I think both main parties will be watching very, very closely the results on Thursday night. From The Guardian, I'm Nosheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, what's really at stake in this week's British local elections? Stuart, you're the political editor of The Guardian and tomorrow voters across Britain will go to the polls to vote in local elections. What will they actually be voting for? Well, so there's more than 6,800 seats up for grabs in 200 councils across Great Britain. Um, in some parts of the UK, so Scotland and Wales, every single local council seat is up for grabs. Every seat in London is also up for grabs. There are other parts of the country where perhaps only a third of the local seats are, are being contested. And in some parts of the countries, there are no local elections at all. But it's a very, very big set of local elections. And these are seats that in England were last contested in 2018 and in, and in Scotland were last contested in 2017. But it's a big electoral test, essentially, and it, and it makes a big difference to, you know, who's running lots of your local services on the ground. Heather, you've been on the campaign trail over the last week or so. What do you think is on voters' minds when they're heading into those polling booths? It's always a bit like this with local elections, but it kind of operates at two levels, I think. So I was out with Labour in Worthing last week, for example, which is a, a council district council on the south coast that they hope to take. And, you know, when we were talking to voters, there were two sets of things coming up. There were the state of the local high street and, you know, they've had a, a bin strike down there and, you know, what, what they'd like to see happen in the town, but also very much what's happening nationally with the Conservative Party and with Boris Johnson and with his behaviour. So what's playing out in the national headlines always sort of skews a bit what voters are thinking when they go to the polls, even if they're voting for the local council, who, of course, don't have any power to chuck Boris Johnson out. 
And that national picture with what's happening in Westminster, I mean, it's been quite an extraordinary month in the lead up to this vote. How do you even begin to summarise what's been happening in Parliament recently? Yeah, it's been an extraordinary period. So we've seen Boris Johnson and indeed his wife and the Chancellor and a number of officials served with fixed penalty notices for breaching lockdown rules. Let me say immediately that I've paid the fine and I once again offer a full apology. MPs have voted to refer Boris Johnson to the Parliament's Privileges Committee, suggesting that it looks as though he misled Parliament about those parties. Shock in the chamber as that huge U-turn suggested that the government realised it couldn't count on the support of its own side. And at the same time, we've seen this sort of undercurrent of sleaze. So there have been a series of stories about misogyny, sexism, the sort of culture and atmosphere in Parliament. And we've seen Conservative MPs resign in recent weeks. The uh, situation was that, that um, I, um, funnily enough, it was tractors that I was looking at. And um, so I did get into another website um, that had a sort of very similar name. Most recent being um, Neil Parrish, the, the Tiverton MP who resigned over the weekend because he was uh, seen by female Conservative colleagues watching pornography in the chamber of the House of Commons. But my my crime, my biggest crime, um, is that on another occasion I went in a second time. As you say, there's been a real revival of sleaze and scandal just encircling Westminster. And for a lot of people, I guess it's symbolised by the very man at the top, Boris Johnson. How much do you think he's become a problem for Conservatives canvassing on the doorstep? It's interesting because you they've been sending him out campaigning in areas where the Tories are fairly strong and, you know, you still see pictures of him, people coming up to get selfies with him and handing him their, you know, there's one this week of him I saw, you know, clutching someone's toddler and, you know, there still are those people out there who he, he is a sort of character, he is a celebrity still. I know he's a bit of a character, but I think that's what makes him who he is and I think some people like it, some people don't, like Marmite, isn't it? But certainly colleagues, and this is my experience out campaigning, colleagues have been reporting on the local elections from different parts of the country. It does come up, Boris Johnson, I trusted him and now I don't trust him or, you know, I don't like how he's behaved during during lockdown. We have been mocked by the leadership of this country. Um, the bereaved in particular mocked by the leaders of this country. And as far as I'm concerned, both of them need to resign. And, you know, certainly if you look at the national polling, a very large proportion of the public think that he's not telling the truth about Partygate. And then that tends to sort of cast a shadow about how they feel about his ability to deal with all kinds of other issues. Yeah, it's not only breaking the law, it's lies, hypocrisy, and it's just the latest in the series of things that we've been seeing over the last few years of Boris Johnson. Sort of sets the mood music, I think, for these polls this week. And do you get any sense that Tory candidates are trying to distance themselves from the leader of the party? Yeah, we've certainly seen that. Dave, I would love it if the uh, if the truth were that the uh, Prime Minister could uh, genuinely excuse his actions by uh, perhaps it's a big building and I didn't really know what was going on, but I, I think that's treating the British public perhaps as fools. So we've um, seen leaflets, for example, that refer to candidates as local conservatives. Right. Um, and certainly we've seen a lot of pictures of leaflets that don't, feature Boris Johnson very prominently, which is interesting. I mean, to some extent at the local elections, you wouldn't expect that, you know, because you'd expect people just to be talking about the local council and what it's done. Or, you know, there was a time not really not very long ago when Boris Johnson was felt to be an enormous electoral asset. And so you would see lots of leaflets of local candidates standing next to Boris Johnson or, you know, pictures of him. And I think that's that's featured much, much less heavily this time around. Well, often Conservative figures say that they want to move on from Partygate and they want to tackle more serious problems like the cost of living crisis. 
But how is that playing out for them electorally? Well, so certainly there was a perception that the Chancellor Rishi Sunak perhaps hadn't done enough at his budget in March to help people, in particular to help the, the lower paid and the most struggling. We'll eat on like sandwiches, various um, other little things like that. So you're skipping hot meals because yeah, of it? Yeah, definitely. Definitely skipping hot meals. Make sure the kids have got hot meals, but we're missing. We and saw Boris Johnson point, really struggling with that on Tuesday. Elsie is 77. She's interviewed on Good Morning Britain and, you know, presented with particular cases. One of the most sort of shocking moments was a pensioner who said that she was riding around on buses all day because she couldn't afford to pay her heating bill and that was the way that she was keeping warm. And, you know, his response was immediately to say that, sort of congratulate himself on having introduced the Freedom Pass so that, you know, great, so she can ride around all day. She gets up early in the morning to use her Freedom Bus Pass to stay on buses all day to avoid using energy at home. What else should Elsie cut back on, in your opinion? Well, I don't want Elsie to cut back on anything. Let's talk about, about Elsie and what we're, uh, what we're, what we're doing. And I just remind you that the 24-hour uh, the Freedom Bus Pass was something that I actually introduced, just, just parenthetically. So missing the point entirely. Yeah, it's missing the point entirely. I just think they really don't have an answer to this. I mean, you know, they would say it's an enormous sort of global spike in oil prices and we can't protect the public from all of it. You know, and there's some truth in that. But I think there is a general feeling and it's shared by quite a few Conservative MPs that they just have not done enough. And increasingly, lots of MPs are starting to hear these and certainly local councillors too will be at the sharp end of this, are starting to hear really terrible stories of, of hardship. And that is going to be the most pressing issue for many, many people, I think. So Heather, given all of that, what does the mood feel like within the Tory party across the country ahead of these elections? Well, I think they're quite nervous. So I think certainly there are lots of MPs who will be watching their own backyard. They'll be out on the campaign trail. They'll know all their local councillors and activists and so on. And it hits very hard if you start to see the opposition parties encroaching into wards and areas of your constituency that you would previously have felt were safe. You know, on Friday morning, when the votes are counted, they will be looking very closely at, you know, the national picture. So does it look as though Labour specifically could sort of put the Tories out of power, but also particular MPs will be starting to think, hmm, OK, if Labour and the Lib Dems have, have taken some of the local wards, does that mean I might be vulnerable come the next general election? And that's a real motivator for MPs if they start to think that their own seat might be at risk. And tomorrow night, as the polls close, Heather, which council seats do you think Tory strategists will most nervously be watching? There's always a lot of expectations management ahead of local elections. So if you listen to what Labour think they can achieve and if you listen to what the Conservative think is going to happen, there's a very, very wide gap between the two and the Conservatives are talking about, you know, oh, we could lose hundreds of council seats, that would be terrible. Well, of course, we're, we're midterm anyway. They will be a challenging set of elections. Pollsters and election experts don't think that. And in fact, there was a sort of very widely shared article this week by the sort of veteran elections experts, Colin Rallings and Michael Thrasher, that said that Labour might not gain that many seats at all because actually, you know, the last time these seats were contested in England, Labour did incredibly well. So, you know, they might not see huge gains. If you look at the overall picture, Labour gained a lot of seats across the whole country. We gained a lot of votes in places we'd never had those votes before. So we haven't seen Pete Corbyn then? No, no, there's much more to come and it's going to get even better. But nevertheless, I think the places that the Conservatives are anxious about are some of the London boroughs. Barnet could go... Labour for the first time since it was founded in 1964, which would be pretty extraordinary. They are also saying Wandsworth and Westminster, which are seen as real flagship London boroughs, are at risk. Labour say 
You know, absolutely not. I was talking to a Labour strategist last week who said, I'll eat my hat if we win. Wandsworth has had a Conservative-run council for 44 years, but Labour hoped to clinch it this time as rising inflation and energy costs pile pressure on families. I think the Conservatives are quite anxious about red wall areas where they did very well notoriously in the 2019 general election. That was where most of their gains were, long-time Labour seats across the Midlands and the North, Barry, Hartlepool, Sunderland, where they've done pretty well nationally and would like to see that they could hold on to those places potentially in a general election. And if they feel like they're going backwards in those areas, they'll be really concerned. And my grandfather would probably be turning in his grave if he knew that I was a Tory, never mind Tory leader of a council. And also blue wall places. I mean, there's an argument about whether that's really a sort of coherent blue wall in any way. But anyway, traditional Tory areas, places like Cheltenham, Esher and Walton, and down in the southwest too, where the Lib Dems think they can do quite well and, and will want to put down markers. You know, these are places we could potentially take in future. So I think there will be lots of different groups of seats and, you know, where this might leave them in terms of a future general election. And turning from the Tories to talk about Labour's potential for success here, how big a moment do you think this is for Keir Starmer's leadership? I think it's a very big moment. Keir Starmer's had a couple of years now at the top of the party, spent a lot of time dealing with internal issues and now has been honing his message to the public. Absolutely fantastic to be here in Bury to launch our local election campaign right here in the sunshine this morning. I think he's previously felt that perhaps he's not been able to show any electoral gains really. So, you know, they didn't do particularly brilliantly at last year's local elections. That was a, a smaller set, but nevertheless, they certainly would have would have hoped to. I think it's quite an important moment that will, they hope, show that they're, you know, consolidating their position, I suppose. It does also seem impossible to talk about Labour's chances of electoral success without referring to the Red Wall, which is its historic heartland seats in the Midlands and the North that voted Conservative in 2019. How much focus do you think Labour are putting into these seats this time round? They certainly are putting a lot of focus into those seats, I think, and they would love to be able to show that they are, you know, could potentially win some of those places back or at least prevent the Conservatives from making further gains, though a lot of their rhetoric has been focused at that area and some of their shifts. So, for example, towards talking more about crime, towards a more sort of patriotic stance, you know, seeing Keir Starmer popping up in front of union flags are aimed at the Red Wall. I don't think Labour are solely focused on those areas. So a Labour strategist was telling me last week they've got 50 Westminster seats. This is a sort of long-term project of theirs, but 50 seats that they're particularly focused on, they feel are swing areas. And so if they track the electoral behaviour in those areas, it'll give them a good picture of whether they're potentially in in a general election winning position. And those seats are not just in the red wall, actually. You know, they mentioned Stevenage, for example, they mentioned Glasgow. You know, I was talking about Worthing on the south coast, well well away from those kinds of areas. You know, I'm not even sure what you'd call it. One, one of the Labour councillors down there called it the Blue Sea Wall. I'm not sure that quite works, but, you know, seats along the south coast that has that sort of changed in their character become sort of full of younger professionals that Labour might hope to take. So I, I, I think they've got an interest in areas well outside the Red Wall and it's a mistake to, to, for us to sort of only focus on, on those areas, even though that was where the 2019 general election really did sort of play out most hotly. The Liberal Democrats generally do better in local elections. So what about them? What about the Green Party? What room has Starmer's Labour Party left for other opposition parties? Quite a bit, I think. So Labour and the Lib Dems appear, looking at um, 
who is standing where and how many candidates each of those two main opposition parties is standing, it looks like they have been quite strategic about you know, standing most candidates in areas they think they can win. And both leaders of those parties have denied that it's anything like a formal electoral pact. You know, they've not sat down and said, right, you know, you stand down here and we'll stand down there. However, they have focused on areas they think they can do best. And so I think there's plenty of room for the Liberal Democrats. There's plenty of the room for them in those sort of traditional Tory areas, commuter belt places where old fashioned kind of shire Tories, you might call them. And the Liberal Democrats say, you know, they hear lots in those kinds of places about, you know, Boris Johnson's behaviour and whether he's a sort of decent person is the sort of language that they use. Boris Johnson's such an indecent man to be our Prime Minister. Many people are wanting to send a message uh, to Conservative MPs that uh, he should go, Boris Johnson should be sacked. And, and the Greens are certainly hoping to make progress and, and to some extent in areas where, you know, that perhaps might not be seen as traditional green hunting grounds. So my colleague Peter Walker went out in Burnley with the Greens recently. You know, they're hoping to make some gains there, for example. So that'll be another one to watch, I think. To some extent, whether they are benefiting at the expense of Labour and whether that might be a problem for Labour at a future general election. But they are also hoping to have a, a good day on Thursday, I think. Heather, when it comes to the general election, we've known for a long time now that Labour's prospect of returning to government largely rely on some kind of recovery in Scotland. Are there any signs of progress for the party there? Yeah, so they are doing better in the national polls. And I think they will certainly be hoping, so, so every seat is up in, in Scotland and they will be really hoping. I mean, I, ideally, I think they would love to push the Conservatives into third place when you look at vote share. And certainly they would like to show some gains in places like Glasgow, you know, where they would hope to gain seats um, at the next general election. So they will be, you know, Anna Sawa, the sort of new, uh, newish Labour Scottish leader, you know, has, has quite a different style and approach and, and sort of sets out a slightly distinct platform from Labour UK wide. And I think they will really be hoping to see that, that his leadership is starting to pay electoral dividends. And obviously, the biggest question in Scottish politics is about independence. Heather, is that issue dominating the conversation in these local elections? It largely is, although interestingly, the Conservatives had done very well at uh, sort of painting themselves as, you know, if you're a unionist, if if you don't want to go down the SNP route and, and see Scotland split from the UK, you know, we're the party for you. And I think, you know, it's partly because the SNP have been in a long time and that's allowed Labour to start to talk about some other things and make some other criticisms of, of a sort of party that's been in government for a very long time. Um, so I think Labour has benefited a bit from the fact that Boris Johnson is really not tremendously popular um, and, and Labour will absolutely hope to benefit from that and say, look, we're a unionist party. You know, if, if you, you don't want to support the SNP, you know, put your vote with us. And by, and by the way, you know, we're progressive on all these, on these, all these other kinds of things. And staying on the subject of the union for just another moment, there are also elections in Northern Ireland, not local ones, but for the National Assembly. And there's lots of speculation that for the first time, Sinn Féin would be the largest party there. How would that be viewed back in Westminster? I think it would be viewed as really constitutionally significant. You know, as you say, Sinn Féin have never come first and we've had a nationalist party vied the first minister in the Stormont Assembly. So that would be fascinating, I think. Sinn Féin's Michelle O'Neill is campaigning in Newry near the Irish border. <laughs> the polls suggest Sinn Féin could become the biggest party in Northern Ireland next Thursday. It would also potentially throw Northern Ireland politics into a yet another crisis because the DUP, who are now expected to come second, have not really made clear whether they would be willing to go into a power-sharing 
arrangement with, with Sinn Féin. Would you go back into power sharing if Sinn Féin were the largest party? Well, uh, I'm not going to contemplate that outcome. I'm not going to answer your question in the way you would like me to, because that, the way presupposes, like you to. that presupposes that Sinn Féin are going to win. Under the hard. constitution of, the, of Northern Ireland, as brokered in the Good Friday Belfast Agreement, you know, you've, you've, you've got to have both sides, as it were, involved in government. You can't, you know, you can't have a sort of single party government. That's, that's, that's not allowed. So and we could see a situation where we could see the, the, the power sharing government collapse if the DUP refused to enter into an agreement, which would be pretty catastrophic, particularly at a time when, you know, the issue of the, the Northern Ireland Protocol, Brexit arrangements for Northern Ireland is, is very, very live and got wrangling going on in the UK government about how to handle that. So it would not be great to not have a voice for Northern Ireland and not, you know, not having a functioning government in Northern Ireland, I think, at that point. So I think it will be very, very interesting. I mean, what, what it doesn't mean, I don't think, is, is that a united Ireland is suddenly sort of round the corner. That's obviously what Sinn Féin advocates. You know, no, nobody thinks a referendum is coming anytime soon on that. But, but you know, it, it would certainly create constitutional issues, to say the least, I think. Coming up, will anything change after Thursday's local elections? Coming soon, a four-part investigative series. A new civil rights division has been set up in New Orleans. Their task? To re-examine thousands of cases and work out whether those people should still be in prison. This six-month investigation takes you into the heart of the Deep South and asks, is it possible to right the wrongs of the past? Listen to The Division New Orleans from this Friday, 6th of May, and across the weekend on Today in Focus. Heather, both Labour and the Conservatives have been frantically spinning the results of tomorrow's vote ahead of time. But what would represent a good or a bad result for either party? You know, there are suggestions that oh, the Conservatives fear they could lose 800 seats. I don't think any of that is very realistic, really. I think if you look at who won the seats last time they were contested, it's, it's very unlikely that we're going to see sort of hundreds of seats and scores of councils uh, changing hands. So I think you have to look at the vote share. So Labour would hope to beat the Conservatives when these seats in England and Wales were last contested in 2018, they were put on 36% against the Conservatives, 37%. Well, they would dearly like to, to overhaul the Conservatives and, and to be in first place. And I think that's what they'll be watching. I think the Conservatives, on the flip side, will feel relieved if they you know, hold on to those London boroughs they're worried about, if they can hold on to red wall areas, and also if they can remain the second party in Scotland. If we're looking at the implications of these local elections for any future general election, of course, we should bear in mind that, you know, turnout is often considerably lower. You know, it's often in the, the mid 30s in local elections and it tends to be the more politically engaged people who who vote. So, of course, we always have to be very cautious about what they tell us about the, the national picture. But nevertheless, the parties will be pouring over every single seat and every single vote to try and um, read the runes and take the messages for a future general election. Heather, we've discussed all the scandals in Westminster and I wonder if you've got a sense from Tory MPs that if that sense of sleaze and scandal starts to harm the party in elections, if they see a bad result on Friday morning, will it convince them to remove Boris Johnson from office? 
So it is possible, I think. I mean, they're amazingly good at procrastinating Conservative MPs and they sort of put this off. We've had, I've had so many conversations where people have said, well, if he gets a fixed penalty notice, you know, that's it. That's the line in the sand. You know, that's our kind of red line. We can't put up with that. And then lo and behold, he gets one and, you know, on, on we go. You know, now people are saying, well, I mean, if he got several fixed penalty notices, then, you know, then he'd have to go. But I do think Conservative MPs will be out on the doorstep. They'll be hearing what voters are saying. They'll be out with, the, you know, local activists and councillors who are there sort of friends and allies in the local party and you know if you if you do see quite a few of those lose their seats and you know, if, if it is a disappointing night, then, you know, I do think the aftermath of elections could be quite emotional times. You know, everyone stayed up all night. You know, there can be a real sort of sense of, of sort of drama around it. And I do think it could be a moment of danger for Boris Johnson. I mean, as I say, there's some, some epic uh, expectations management going on. So I'm sure the Tories will say they've done well, whatever happens. Um, but it, it could be a moment of danger. Um, and I think there are a number of other potential moments of danger as we go through the year. So I think even if he escapes without, you know, suddenly finding himself in a vote of no confidence next week, there there are other, you know, more fixed penalty notices could come. We could see Sue Gray's report, which could be damning. You know, we could see the, the report of the Privileges Committee, which is going to investigate whether he's lied to Parliament. So I think even if he sort of escapes with a, with a, a, a better than expected result on Friday and Conservative MPs decide to sort of stay their hand, I don't think that means he's indefinitely safe. We'll have to wait and see. Heather, thank you so much. Thanks. That was Heather Stewart. You can follow her reporting on the local elections, stay on top of the results and more from the politics team at theguardian.com. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Sammy Kent and Josh Kelly. Sound design is by Axel Cacoutier. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Mythley Rao. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.